Great job. Thank you for being here. What a wonderful start to spring break, right? It's like 12 degrees outside, and we're glad you're here. I know we have folks traveling. I want you to be praying for our middle school mission team uh, from GSM. They're in Cincinnati today. Our high school team is in St. Louis, so you'll remember them along with a lot of other folks. Thank you for getting up. We weren't sure if uh, we should uh, postpone or combine services, but the truth be told, we've had so many worshipers. We've been running largely above our pre-COVID worship. It would have been extremely uncomfortable in all likelihood if we did one service. And so thank you for coming. Thank you for being patient as we start working on the worship center. The primary bulk of the work will come in the summer, but thank you for understanding that. I want to echo what Pastor Jeff said as you're turning to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, I just want to echo, we want to continue to pray for our young Marine, Benji Bash. We've recognized Benji a few times in the last few years. He's a 2019 graduate of Grace Christian Academy. His father, Alex, serves on safety and security. His mother, Denise, sings in our choir. In fact, she was up there last week. If you watched our worship video, she was right in the frame behind Holly singing up here. And so um, we want to pray for the bashes as Benji had a very, very bad motorcycle wreck in eastern North Carolina this past week and has already undergone several surgeries. He's already received many, many, many pints of blood and has a long road of recovery, but the Lord spared his life and has a plan and a purpose for that young man. So continue to pray for the Bash family if you would. So all year long, we've been talking about Genesis Factor Fiction. I'm gonna do a mini series on marriage this week and next. Then we're gonna take a break probably through Easter just to spend a little time in some other books, some New Testament writing and such. But we're talking about marriage. And as I've asked you, a couple of times the last few months. This is one of those messages where it shouldn't be challenging. It should not be controversial. And yet it may be for some people. And so again, I would appreciate any prayers you've got out there that you could just say, Lord, help people to listen with open heart and mind because we're gonna talk about marriage made in paradise. Marriage God's way, okay? Before we do that, though, we're learning Genesis 2.18, which we'll study today. So let's say it together, and then we'll put some blanks up. Are you ready? You guys join me. It says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. All right, good. Let's say it again. Ready? And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Good, a helper that is suitable to the man. All right, so let me recall where we've been, if I may. We talked about being divinely designed. And in chapter one, we talked about the actual origin of species. We continued that divinely designed concept and talked about the image of God, that we're made in the image of God. Then the last few weeks, we looked at the breath of life and life in God's garden. Remember last week, I said life in God's garden includes pleasure and purpose. Life in God's garden includes freedom and the forbidden. And I have argued that you cannot have freedom without the forbidden. There has to be opportunity to mess up lest we find ourselves enslaved. And of course, unfortunately, our first parents did mess up, but we're here today continuing on the sixth day of creation with this theme, marriage made in paradise. Now, let me say, if you're single here today, if you've never been married, if you're divorced, if you're a widow or widower, whatever the case may be, the Lord still has an important word for you. So I'm not 
only talking to married people, but I want to say I believe very strongly that marriage is under attack like never before in our world, particularly in our nation. Just because five people of the Supreme Court in 2015 made a decision does not change how I feel about marriage. It doesn't change who designed marriage. It doesn't change who defines marriage. Marriage is still to be made God's way. And if ever before, the church must take a, stand, a strong stand for biblical marriage. Pastors are becoming soft in the pulpits and not proclaiming the unchanging truths of God's word, particularly about this sacred institution. Our contemporary culture is seeking to redefine and ultimately defile what God has made as holy. We must say enough is enough. No more of this nonsense. Marriage was made by God. Therefore, marriage is only defined by God. And anybody that attempts to redefine what God has designed and defined is going to find themselves in trouble and under the hand of God's wrath. So let's be loving, but let's be truthful. I want to share a quick story with you before we read the text. Heather was so excited. Heather was playing the piano this morning, been working with our choir a little bit. And the choir, you did a, a phenomenal job today. Thank you so much for blessing our hearts. And uh, she was so excited because she got into the School of Music at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. That's a great music program in the UNC system. And so it's a large music school. She was accepted. She got um, a slot in the dorm that was pretty much made for the music students. It was very close to their new state-of-the-art facility, really large, one of the largest on the East Coast in their music school, and she was all excited until her freshman roommate wrote her. And in that email, uh, she said, I hope you're okay with the fact that my girlfriend will be staying with us most weekends. Well, of course, Heather took that as my friend who is a girl. That is not what the other young lady meant at all. She'd been dating this girl for some time, and so she was basically saying to Heather, hey, look, another girl who's attracted to girls is gonna be staying with us. Well, I have a problem with that, and let me tell you why I have a problem with that. That would be like saying there's a young man attracted to girls staying with my daughter in the same room, in these tiny little dorm rooms. So we called the university and we said, look, we're not comfortable with this, but we're not gonna ask the other young lady to move. Can you find another slot for our daughter, another place? And they said, you'll have to put that in writing. So we did, we put it in writing. This is our belief. We are Christian folks and we're not comfortable with this. No, any more so than if she said, my boyfriend, we're gonna be coming to stay with us every weekend and he'll be in my room. No, because they're in a romantic relationship. My daughter doesn't need to be sleeping right next to them in the next twin bed over. And so when we wrote them, they wrote us back and, and basically this is what they said. There's nothing we can do for your daughter. We do not make changes based on quote, exact quote, personality differences hmm personality differences huh that's a lot more than a personality difference now the Lord ended up allowing Heather to live with my folks and it worked out actually much better for them and for her in the long run but let me simply say that the culture has gone from a position of sort of tolerance to a position of acceptance to a position of celebration and friend, today you're bigoted and wrong if there's no participation. We have moved the chain every few years until we're no longer even willing to talk about these things. But God has a lot to say about marriage.
And do you realize it starts right here in the creation account of Genesis? We've looked already at 127, and we've talked about gender and sexuality, but today we go to chapter 2, 18 to 25, expounding on this beautiful creation of man and woman. Nearly every wedding I've had the joy of officiating the last two plus decades, I've said something like this. Marriage is an institution of divine appointment as commended as honorable among all men. This is God's first institution for the welfare of the human race. The first really organized thing we get in the Bible before society, before governmental structure, before even the birth of the church, we get marriage. And we see through the word of God and the lens of the heart of our Lord how important marriage is. So with that being said, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Genesis 2, I'll pick up with 18. Remember, God's just told Adam, eat of all of these trees, but stay away from this one. For of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on the day you eat of it, you will indeed surely, truly die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed. Now remember, this is a recall. This is focusing in. We've already had this happen, but now we're just focused in. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam, Adam, ground, to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast in the field, but... For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. And in the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made or formed or fashioned, built, literally is the Hebrew, into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam declared, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much that we need to learn here. So over the course of this week and next, As we look at this marriage made in paradise, I pray that you would help us see the truths that are still to this very day applicable in our own hearts and our own homes. Help us to know that even if we're not yet married or maybe never you never intended us to be married, that there's still truth to be learned and there's still ways to grow even in this. Help us to see that you're in control and that you always know what's best for your people. Thank you, Lord, for never giving a second best, but the best at every turn. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. All right, thank you, and be seated. So I'm going to give you sort of one main concept and then a bunch of things underneath today as well as next week. The first thing I want you to see here, though, is God designed marriage for man's good. God designed marriage for man's good. Now, it's also designed for his glory, but that's next week, so you'll need to come back. So we got man's good here, and we're going to pick up God's glory next week. Everything in creation was good and good and good, and God even declared at the end of it all it was very good, except the loneliness of man. It is not good 
for man to be alone. So you'll take that down if you're taking notes. Everything in creation was good except the loneliness of man. Now that's not necessarily the way it's been taught in our most modern context. It's not that Adam was sitting around, oh, woe is me. Oh, look how terrible this is. No, no, remember this is still day six of creation. I'm a literalist when it comes to those days. Adam doesn't have months or years to ponder and get lonely. In fact, he has the company of God himself. So it's not as though he's lonely missing something. Don't misunderstand the text. It is that he was alone. And it was through the parade of animals and the naming initiative that Adam did that maybe he recognized it. But remember, it wasn't Adam's recognition that caused God to create woman. It was God's recognition. God said something in verse 18. God declared it's not good. The man should be alone. God is the one who initiated this. There's been a lot of modern teaching sort of getting fuzzy on that, that Adam was sort of a woe is me. No, 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 no. That puts too much pressure on the other sex. That puts pressure on them that God didn't design them to take. But in the context of chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, the only thing that is not good is the fact that man is alone. So notice the last half of verse 20. It's identical to verse 18. The last half of 20 says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Well, God had declared in verse 18, I'm going to make this man a helper comparable to him. Adam would call the animals by name. God delegated that authority to him. Adam was aware now, it would seem, of his loneliness. But again, not that he was somehow incomplete in this. This is, by the way, not a new creation of animals. They're already created before man on the fifth and sixth days. But two things were accomplished as they passed by Adam. First, of course, he names them. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. And second, he sees that none of these are human. These don't have the Imago Dei. These are different than me. I am unique. I am created as one of my kind. God is preparing this man, Adam, spiritually and psychologically and physically for a helper. Now, I know what happens. The critics get caught up in the small stuff. They'll say things like this. Well, there's just no way Adam could have named all of those animals in one day. There's no way that happened. And Eve had to be created on day six. There's no way there's time for all of that. Listen, anybody that comes to you with a supposed contradiction in the Word of God hasn't thoroughly studied the Word of God. They have not put in the time to learn it in its original language, in its context, and so they're talking from a place of ignorance, not knowledge. In fact, let me show you carefully Genesis 2.20. Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the air, and every beast of the field. Doesn't say anything about naming sea creatures or creeping things. And it also differentiates beast of the field from beast of the earth. Beast of the earth was used in Genesis 1.24. Now we use a smaller subset, beast of the field. Various commentators agree that these field beasts are animals living in or around the Garden of Eden. Remember, the Garden of Eden is just one spot of creation. It's not that Adam traveled the whole world on day six. Absolutely not. Also, remember, God didn't bring before Adam every type of animal. Adam was not responsible to say, Labrador Retriever, Chihuahua, Dotson. Adam said dog, and there it was. And so he didn't have to do all of that. Adam only named the animals God brought to him, and besides, he had most of the day to do it. It's not that it took God a long time to do his work on day six. Think about this. Before the fall, Adam's brain was essentially 
perfect. He had no problems coming up with names. He didn't have to wonder and think and guess. And it's been estimated by numerous biblical scholars that it would have only taken a few hours to actually name the kinds. Remember, big picture, the kinds that would have come before Adam. Boom, 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 boom. Here they come. Here they come. God is able to do that because Adam is in a pre-fallen state. And then Eve was created a little later that day. Now let's remember, that's not the point of this text anyway. But don't get hung up in the small stuff that's very easy to explain. What is actually going on? Well, letter B in your notes, I said this. God is actually setting the stage for the creation of woman and the first marriage. I know that because when I compare and contrast verse 18 and 20, I see what God's doing. I also look at the language of verses 24 and 25, and two different times I see Eve referred to as wife, or the woman referred to as wife. It says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Even Jesus himself spoke about this in Matthew chapter 19. I'll come back to that a little bit later. But let's try to lay to rest another misunderstanding about the woman in Genesis 2. Letter C. Some people believe that woman being made as a helper to man somehow makes her lesser than man. And what I put in my notes, you see, totally false. We got to get this notion out of our heads. The modern connotation of the Hebrew word azer or azir, helper, sometimes is considered less than. So you get a couple of guys coming out on a job and you have a problem. Do you wanna talk to the helper or do you wanna talk to the guy who's in charge? That's the way we hear it. That's the way we think of it. That is not the way the Bible uses the language. In fact, the word is positive and actually magnificent. Did you realize in the Bible, God himself is described as the exact, by the exact same word multiple times over. Help or helper is a word used of our Lord himself. I've put some notes down for you. Psalm 10, 28, 46, 54, 72, 86, 119, 121, and numerous other places. God is called our helper. This is not a degrading position. It is not a lesser than position. So I've said the Lord is our helper. Think about it like this. Indispensable companion. Absolutely necessary companion. The woman would supply what is lacking in man in design in logic, and it would follow then logically that man would supply what she is lacking, though it's not stated here. So I've said it like this, the word helper describes function rather than worth. Sweet ladies, listen to me. Everywhere around the world, true biblical Christianity has been espoused. The value and honor of women has been elevated. When true biblical Christianity takes root, not sort of subsets of Christianity or wrong ideas of Christianity and patriarchal systems of Christianity, biblical Christianity. When biblical Christianity is taking root, the role and value of women has always been elevated. In fact, it shocked all of the Jewish religious people where Jesus put so much time and emphasis on women and on their role and their value and how Jesus would consistently elevate the women around him. They were the first at the tomb. They were some of the greatest early witnesses. 
Woman here, overarchingly, woman is to be a help to man, a spiritual partner to assist him in obeying the word of the Lord and being active in ministry. As man's partner in the divinely assigned process of procreation, the continuation of the human race, as man's friend to offer comfort and fellowship, as man's encouragement and inspiration, the woman is the perfect counterpart of the man, possessing neither inferiority nor superiority, but being equal in dignity and worth and personhood, but unique and different in function. Let me see if I can explain. Now, I've talked a little bit midweek. I have to go all the way over here for my illustration. I've talked a little bit midweek about egalitarianism versus complementarianism, and I'm thinking through how do I show you guys this and how do I explain this? And so we bought two pieces of equipment, and with the real spring coming one of these days, we'll get real spring here in East Tennessee, we're gonna be using this stuff, right? And so we have a hard rake and we have a shovel. Now, the truth is these are made of essentially the very same things. Their value is basically the same if you go down the road to Lowe's or Home Depot and purchase them. They're basically the same. You have a wooden handle and you have this steel, this top part that you work with. Now, the truth is I can probably dig a hole with this if I work at it long and hard enough. And I can probably do some raking with this shovel. But that would be against their design. I could do it, it would not be as effective. God wants what's best for you. God doesn't want you living apart from your design. Now we could hack parts and pieces of this up and we could modify it and change it, but it's never going to really be a shovel without the head of a shovel. And we could probably cut some slots in this, and I'm sure I could take some kind of grinder and, and kind of make it a quasi-rake, but it's never really meant to be a rake. Same value, same raw materials, designed differently. One for digging, one for raking. Which is better? Depends on what you're gonna do with it. <laughs> But, but yeah, but I need you to tell me about value. Uh, pretty much the same. You see, men and women are created different. You don't believe me? Talk to my two-year-old granddaughter. Two-year-olds know there's a difference in boys and girls. You say, no, 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 no. That's cultural. No, 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 that's nurture, not nature. Oh, no, my friend, she can look at boys and girls and at two tell you there's a difference. What we've tried to do in this culture is deny basic biology. You don't even have to be a Bible-believing Christian to understand that two rakes or two shovels don't actually get the job done. You need a combination that God designed in a perfect way to come together. Yes, I know some of you immediately are gonna to try to make rules based on anomalies, but not every couple can have babies. And sometimes people have intersex issues and they have anomalous genitalia and all of these things. I realize that, but again, we're not making the rules based on the anomalies. God said this, you are made to complement one another. Egalitarians say, no, 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 we're designed equal in value, worth, dignity, and role and function. Not true. Despite what Google will tell you today, men cannot breastfeed babies. 
I know you can Google it. And I know that they'll say to you, yes, of course men can get pregnant. Is anybody in this room really stupid enough to believe that? (laughs) Can we just be honest? Can the church of the Lord Jesus Christ just be honest and say, now you know fundamentally that that's false. And you know fundamentally that boys trying to breastfeed babies are ludicrous. And I saw an interview with a man that tried to become a woman. And you know what he had the nerve to say? We're trying to get our child to latch on to me, a man, a biological man, but this little one is not getting much milk, so we're supplementing with formula. No, friend, you're not supplementing. That baby's not getting one drop of milk from you, sir. And you can change the name of someone or something, but just because you want to force me to call someone Caitlin, God has said they are Bruce. You don't have to like that position, but basic physiology and the word of God confirm that position. And God designed marriage to be between a man, a real biological man. Please stop misusing language and saying, you mean a man assigned at birth? I mean a man and you know what I mean. And a woman a male and a female. And listen, let's let's just try a little exercise. Let me ask you a question. Just name out the first thing you think of. What has four legs and you can sit on it? Okay, a horse, a chair, a table. What has four legs and you can sit on it? Similitude does not equal sameness. These items are similar, but they are not the same. Men and women are similar, made of the same stuff. We are not the same. There is a difference in function. There is a difference in role. And we are now playing linguistic games with one another to try to redefine what God has done. The truth is God designed marriage for man's good. And when we try to mix categories, it's no longer God's best. Yes, of course it can happen but it's not God's best. Adam has just proven his intellect and ability to communicate. Man's created with complete intelligence, undefiled by sin at the time. Adam with a superior, untainted intelligence, but Adam still needed a helpmeet, a helper fitable, suitable to him. So what does God do? Look at 21, 22. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept, he took one of his ribs. The Hebrew word there is literally from his side. He then closed up the flesh. He took from his side what the peace God had taken. Now, I'm perfectly okay saying that was a rib. I'm fine with that. The New King James translates it as such. It's perfectly okay to understand it. That may, in fact, be exactly what it was. But that's like sort of arguing that the fruit of the tree had to be an apple. Well, we don't know. But what we do know is that it's perfectly okay to say that Eve was taken from somewhere on the side of man. Again, not from his head, to somehow show us superiority, not from his feet to somehow show us inferiority, but from his side, the place closest to his heart to show compatibility, that there is a mental and physical and emotional and spiritual union here between Ish and Isha. Ish and Isha, Hebrew man and Isha, woman. See, they're related even in their language. 
we, we have that related even in English, in most languages around the world, by the way, man and woman. And God brought her to the man, and God somewhere here performed the very first marriage. Somewhere God sanctified and blessed the first home and the first family. And what Jesus said in Matthew 19 is what God therefore hath joined together, let no man put asunder. That old language simply means let no man separate. Now, did you hear that? Marriage, what God hath put together, let no man separate. This is one of the reasons of many that I would say marriage must be, because of its defining characteristics and because of its godly design, it must be man and woman, because Adam sees all of these animals, and the first man demonstrates intelligence and language and speech, but now the bride fulfills something in him, even with all that intelligence, all that language, all that skill, she fulfills something that's missing, ish. It's almost as though ish, man, looks over, God had put him asleep, God had done that divine surgery, God had closed him up, ish is laying there, and ish gets up and he stretches and he wipes the sleep from his eyes and he looks over and there's, he goes, ish, Ah, like, Lord, two thumbs up. And he recognizes this incredible creature that God has created from him. And he makes this wonderful, beautiful declaration. Now, see, I've seen all of these other things, but this, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh, whoa, man, that's good, God. You did a good, good thing. But let me remind you of something. Let me remind you of something. I'll say this to the unmarried. A spouse does not complete you. Adam was not incomplete prior to Eve. It was that God intended for a binary system of procreation, communication. We even said last week recreation. But Adam was not incomplete. Christ is the only one, according to the word of the Lord, that completes you. And I've added another statement here. If the Lord leads you to be married, then a godly husband or a wife is to compliment you. If you try to put the pressure on them to complete you, you will be disappointed and your spouse will not be able to live up to that task. In 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 9, Paul talks about the benefits, in fact, of remaining single if one can. Jesus and Paul, it would seem, were single. Both Jesus and Paul even mention celibacy. Jesus speaks of celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Paul speaks of celibacy and singleness as a gift from God. Both Jesus and Paul indicate that a call to singleness allows unmarried men and women to devote greater, more undistracted attention to service for the Lord. There's no question that singleness can be God's will for certain individuals. And in those cases, at least, singleness is not a curse but a gift because every good and perfect gift is from above. And there are times, according to the Bible, that singleness is even to be preferred over marriage. 
Again, we've done a grave disservice in our culture, not only redefining marriage and saying, well, marriage is just between any two consenting parties. That's not true because the next step on that slippery slope is marriage is going to be in between multiple parties. And you're going to have lots and lots of other nuances about this coming to the horizon. There already are cases in multiple states. The point, though, is that what we've done as heterosexuals is we've kind of put marriage even above salvation relationship with Christ and we've sort of said to our young people because there's such a pressure in their 20s and 30s toward marriage and if God does called them to that wonderful if God's leading in that fantastic let them find that mate God's designed for them I don't believe by the way in soulmate I don't believe the concept that there's one person designed for you I think that's hooey I think the reality is that you're not looking for the right person you're learning to be the right person and when you learn to be the right person God can put you together with another person who has Christ as their foundation so this soulmate idea that's Hollywood junk and I missed it the first time I got to try again I missed it the second time I got to try again wrong that is not biblical you are learning to be the person God designed you to be. Then God brings you to the person that he has for you. But you say, well, you know what? There are some good and godly people that were married. A spouse died and they were remarried. What about that? Praise God. Okay. If God designed them that way and God called them that way, but do not think that your spouse is the one that is completing you. I want to reteach a lesson that I taught very, very briefly as we were going through Ephesians in my first year here, it's been two and a half years ago since we talked about this. So I wanna reteach you something and I'm gonna ask my sweetheart, Miss Cindy, to come up on the platform and help me as we close with this. I wanna give you some practical advice related to God's design for marriage, if I may. <clears throat> and we're gonna use a couple of arrows to show this. And so here's what we do, hon, we'll come up. I think, um, so what's taught about marriage so often, right? Let's come up a little further so these folks can see. Um, what's taught so frequently is that marriage is give and take and compromise. Let's turn toward them. Yeah, you're better than Vanna. You're a lot prettier too. And so we teach kind of this idea that I'll give and she'll give and it's give and take. Big problem though. What if something happens to her? What if there's a horrible, horrible accident and she can't give to me anymore and so all I'm doing is this and I'm just giving and giving and, and she's just incapacitated. There's just no way. See, I've lived through this. As a son, I've watched this. Or conversely, if she's just giving to me and there's nothing I can do, well, what do I say? What do we say when we stand before God and our witnesses? We say for better and for in sickness and in hell. We, we make this declaration, these vows, till death do us part. So this obviously doesn't work, does it? There's no way this is going to work. And so we've got to quit this thinking that marriage is somehow this picture. It is not this picture. You are wrong if you see marriage as give and take 50-50. In fact, one of the best things you can do for your marriage is you husbands can seek to grow like the Lord and the more I grow like the Lord and the more my sweetheart grows like the Lord and the closer we get to God what begins to happen church we begin to get closer to one another do y'all see that 
the closer we get to the Lord, the closer we get to one another. And then watch what happens. The closer I'm aiming to get to God and the closer she's aiming to get to God, I've now come to understand marriage is 100% me giving. It's not about what I can get. It's about what I can give for her, for her joy, for her pleasure, for her contentment, for her spiritual growth, for her happiness. And I'm thinking about this in every way. I'm thinking about it physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. I'm thinking about it in every concept of our marriage so that if something happens and she's no longer able to give, that's okay. It doesn't change anything. I'm still giving. It's 100%. And what does she do? She gives 100% so that if something happens to me, do you understand? It's not 50-50. It's 100-100. Do y'all understand that? Say amen if you got it. All right, good. It's 100-100 because watch what God did. This is agape, by the way. This is the only way. Do y'all see that over there? This is the only way to understand agape. It's one-way love. It's from me to you. It has nothing to do with what comes from you to me. And you know how I know this is true? Because the gospel is the picture of marriage. Marriage is the picture of the gospel. You say, well, how do you explain the gospel? I explain it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when I realize that I can only love because God first loved me and you and us, then, you hold that one, sweetheart, because God loved me first. Can everybody see that picture? Guess what? I can love her better. I can love her best. I know how to love her because God first loved me. And guess what? <laughs> Works the same way this direction, doesn't it? God so loved us and gave us a picture. Husbands, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, so you too love your wives. Does everybody understand that? 100, 100. I know it's hard for you to keep your hands off me that long, but I love you. Thank you. As the band joins me, I want you to get this give and take notion out of your head. I know that there's compromise and I know practically in day-to-day -day life you have to do this and that. But the reality is this, there's coming a day if you live long enough, there's coming a day if God allows you to see that 50th anniversary and 60th anniversary and 70th anniversary for one sweet couple that I helped with their services 74 years. They were husband and wife. There's coming a day where either you're not gonna be able to give everything anymore or they're not gonna be able to give everything. And if you somehow feel slighted, if you somehow feel cheated, then you are forgetting that the Lord Jesus himself came even when we rejected him and he went to that old rugged cross and he said, Father, forgive them, they don't even know what they're doing. And despite how we reciprocated, God continued to love us. The best marriages are made of those people who understand marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. If you want a marriage made in paradise, then you gotta do it God's way. Stand with me. You say, okay, Bobby, I hear you. 
But then came the fall. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, you're right. You're right. Then came the fall. Now listen to this. That's the beauty of the gospel. God is taking what he created as very good. It was very broken. And through Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection, by trusting him by grace through faith, God is taking what he designed as very good and he's restoring it and making all things new. My marriage is not perfect. That would be a sham to stand up here and tell you that it is. But I'm here to tell you that after almost three decades with this sweet lady, I think it's as close as it can be. And I think in another decade it'll be closer. And if the Lord wills in another decade it'll be closer. It is very, very good. When Christ is center, when the gospel is preeminent, when you're focused on purely just giving and giving and giving, you're like Jesus. And they're focused on giving and giving. They're like Jesus. And today if you've come in saying, no, my marriage looks more like the fall than the recreation, I want you to leave today with a big, fresh dose of hope because the gospel and because God is still making marriage in paradise. Heavenly Father, I pray today that we would remember that while nothing and no one is perfect this side of heaven, you are recreating us, remaking us every day more into the image of Christ. And I love my Cindy, you know, Lord, I think everybody probably knows that I just adore her. Yet, I also know that Cindy doesn't complete me, that Christ completes me. And I know that even if one of us were unable to show and live up to the husband or wife duties and responsibilities and all of those things, I know that the marriage still grows and continues because it's not about what can I get. It's not about what I'm missing. It's about how much more can I give? How much more can I do? How can I look more like Jesus today than I looked like him yesterday? Because I'm failing in so many ways. But when I fall down, you pick me up. When I'm weak, you're strong. And because you first loved us, we now can love one another. We now know what love looks like. We now have a picture, a perfect picture of love in the Lord Jesus. God, would you move us in these final moments to respond to your love in Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of things. If you know the bashes, I'm gonna ask you to step out wherever you are, step out and come pray for them. We also had a young lady at GCA in a very bad wreck this week. If you know that family, because they're not here at Grace, I'm not gonna mention the name, but if you know them, you can pray for them as well. But if you know the bashes, I'm gonna ask you to pray for Benji. If you have a heart to continue to lift up the Ukrainian people, I know you do. We sent another gift. Kevin's gonna tell you about it in a moment. Praise God, thank you for your generosity. You can pray for the Ukrainian folks. If you have a kid, it's in Cincinnati or St. Louis this week. Like we have two of ours there. We're home alone. Oh, Holly's still. Does anybody want a 22-year-old for a... I'm just kidding. We love you, Holly. We're glad you're home. Stay in your room. Okay. So if you have a kid at camp, 
we love for you to come and pray for the work that God's going to do in them and through them. Whatever the other needs may be today, the altar will be open, and then Cindy and I and pastors and counselors will be ready to receive you. But would you come right now for a few minutes of prayer? Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.